Hello and welcome. You're listening to Leadership Playbook, a London Business School podcast exploring the latest thinking and key issues for leaders and those aspiring to lead. I'm Cathy Brewis, Senior Managing Editor of Think at London Business School, the place to come for thought leadership and business insights from London Business School faculty and alumni. You'll find us online at london.edu forward slash think. In this episode of Leadership Playbook, we explore diversity in the workplace, starting with why you and your organisation need to think carefully about how you talk about your progress towards equality. I'm joined by Anitha Ratton, Associate Professor of Organisational Behaviour here at the school. Anitha is a social psychologist whose research focuses on how mindsets help us to understand issues of stereotyping, implicit and overt bias and belonging and inclusion in the workplace. She's also academic co-director of our new LGBTQ executive leadership programme. My other guest is Oriane Georgiak, whose PhD research investigates what organisations today say about diversity, and whether that's effective. Her work, surprisingly, shows organisations' well-meaning approaches to diversity can backfire. Oriane will soon take up the post of assistant professor at Yale School of Management, investigating what organisations say about diversity and the consequences of their messages about diversity. Oriane and Anitha have recently published a fascinating paper, generously supported by funding from the LBS Leadership Institute, raising some important questions about how companies around the world talk about diversity. The paper was also selected as a finalist of the 2020 Responsible Research in Management Award. Oriane, tell me, what made you want to start this PhD research nearly six years ago? Yeah, so when we started this project, we got really intrigued by those messages that we saw more and more frequently uh, broadcast by organizations about the progress that they were making on the level of women's representation in top leadership. And the reason we were intrigued was that we could see how seeing progress could motivate people to uh, tackle the remaining inequality that women were facing in other domains. But we could also see how it could give them a rosy picture of the situation such that they would not be as concerned with women's inequalities on a daily basis. And so we really wanted to look at that. And one of the things that also intrigued us was that when we talk about progress for women, we often think of progress as a pretty monolithic process. And by that, what I mean is we think that, you know, achieving progress, for instance, in top leadership representation will naturally trigger progress elsewhere, such as pay or, you know, also outside organizations. And we were wondering what really got people thinking in that way, because when we look at gender inequality, actually, it's pretty fragmented. So you can see progress in some domains, such as gender representation at the top levels of organizations, but you can also see lack of progress in other domains, uh, such as the gender pay gap, which, for instance, in the U.S., has been decreasing by less than $1 cent per year since the 1960s. And so that led us to an image of progress for women as a fragmented process. And so it's fragmented across domains of inequality, but it's also fragmented across groups of women. So what happens for women at the very top of organizations is not necessarily going to trickle down for women at the bottom of the organization. Because people talk about women's progress like it's one thing. And of course, it's much more complex than that. And there are different women are not just one group. There are different things going on within that. And to supplement what Oriane is saying, one of the really key points that we hope this research will make 
Is that a kind of natural, automatic, seemingly simple language choice or style of communication that organizations use can actually have meaningful implications beyond their intentions? So when a company releases its new data showing how much progress it's made on women's representation in top leadership or on their board, that's wonderful and it should be celebrated. But key to the insight that Oriane had that really started this project is the idea that when they talk about that progress as meaning progress for all women, or when they talk about that progress without highlighting that that's progress, as you said, Kathy, for some groups of women, they might communicate something widely in society that isn't quite true, that's not quite accurate. Mm -hmm. And so that's the reason that we wanted to understand how people in society make sense out of these messages that they see coming from outlets like, you know, newspapers, coming from the media and also coming from organizations themselves. And also, I guess, if you hear the message that something's fixed at some level in an organisation, you might think that's it, then that's that's that problem solved. We can get on looking at something else. Exactly. And that's actually one of the things that we studied in the research. So, Oriane, if you were going to just summarise like the sort of key findings from this research, which was obviously painstaking and, and, you know, extremely methodical and you controlled for other alternative explanations, how do you explain it to someone so the, the key findings that we found in this research were uh, basically that when people, whether it be men or women, perceive greater levels of women's representation in top leadership, this increases their belief that women now have full access to equal opportunities, which we know is an overgeneralization. But this overgeneralization, in turn, decreases people's concern with ongoing gender inequality in other domains whether at work or beyond, such as uh, unequal pay or unequal distribution of housework or unequal access to venture capital for female entrepreneurs, etc. So this really shows us that organizations' messages have the power to decrease people's concern about gender inequality that persists today when they broadcast progress at the top for women. So you were looking at kind of the link between things that people read about women's progress at some level, and then how that might affect how they perceive the kind of bigger picture. Tell me, how did you look into that? Right. So what we did is that we wanted to see the link between how people receive uh, news that now women are well represented in top leadership in organizations and their concern with concrete instances of gender inequality today in other domains. So for instance, the way we went about it was to present to people some articles telling them that, you know, female representation at top levels in organizations was now strong versus weak. And what we wanted to see is whether that would influence how much concern they would show when we would expose them to real life statistics about, for instance, the gender pay gap or the distribution of housework between men and women or the access to venture capital for entrepreneurs when they're men versus women. And what we found was that when people read that women are now well represented in top leadership in organizations, they show decreased concern for other forms of inequality that women face in other domains. 
What's really amazing in the world of organizations today is that a lot of companies are making what we would describe as substantive progress toward greater gender equality in the level of women's representation in top leadership and on boards. And so there's a really interesting question there, because obviously when we as researchers read about that in the news, we feel excited and inspired because while companies are for the most part not yet at 50-50, which is what we would think of as gender parity based on typical population proportions, they have made progress that goes beyond just token levels of representation, where someone is the first, the only, or the one. And for that reason, because we were seeing this evidence of real-world change, this evidence that companies are making substantive progress toward greater equality, we were really inspired to understand what's the impact of that. So, I mean, that's really interesting, but someone looking at it might think, well, maybe some of this lack of parity in other areas, like who does the housework, might just come down to women's personal choices. Right. Yes, we absolutely hear this narrative. And so we wanted to investigate whether that could play a role in the conclusion that people reach about how concerning other instances of gender inequalities are based on what they've read when they see women well represented in top leadership. And so we looked at this as a possible alternative explanation to what I've just explained about this overgeneralization of women's access to equal opportunity. And we found that it plays a role, but not quite as much as this overgeneralization process that I've just described. So in a sense, definitely it could be at play, but it contributes less to the effect that I've been describing than this overgeneralization of women's access to equal opportunities from this progress in their representation at the top. And in a way that really highlights how critically important it is for companies to be thinking about the way they put out these messages, for members of the media to be thinking about the way they write their headlines and the way they write their articles. Because what Oriane is describing is that she found that these messages kind of exclusively celebrating women's stronger representation rather than, you know, weak representation in top leadership, it affected both the degree to which people overgeneralized. They did that more when they read that women's representation in top leadership is strong and the degree to which they were thinking about these disparities in terms of women's personal choices. And I'm sure that when someone writes one of these headlines or puts one of these messages out there, that is not their intention. And so what this research really highlights is that we can be thoughtful about how we communicate these messages to try and avoid those negative downstream consequences that Oriane has described. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting that someone might very well-meanly be putting something out there that they think is great news for women. But actually, as you say, the kind of language that's used and the way that things put across can make a huge difference. Absolutely. And, you know, people are always trying to make sense of the world around them and to make sense of a really dynamic, changing world. And so it's not the case in our research that we think people want to believe inaccurate things about the state of the world. It's not the case that people are out there trying to dismiss issues of inequality generally. What our work shows is that 
as we make sense of the world and consume information that would inform the way we understand the world, we can come to inaccurate conclusions that can drive really meaningful outcomes. The reason that we studied this outcome of how concerned are you about ongoing inequality in domains like pay or housework or venture capital or even how much sports teams get paid. We used the example of uh, U.S. women's football or soccer uh, versus U.S. men's football or soccer and their pay levels. The reason that's so important is that when we are disturbed by an inequality, we want to take action on it. We hold people in power to task for those inequalities. We ask companies, governments, and societies to make changes. So that disturbance is really a precursor to fixing the problems. And that's the reason we focused on that as our outcome variable. Great, thank you. And just going back to this research, so what's the bottom line for organisations looking at this research and the messages they give out and how that can affect what people think about how the organisation is doing diversity as a whole or how what progress is being made, what do they need to kind of know? So the first key takeaway for companies is that they should think about the way they talk about progress. Often we will use phrases in speech or in writing like making progress toward greater equality. We haven't tested it yet. It's one of the really interesting future directions for this research. But one option is to just build into those kinds of statements the complexity that exists out there in the real world. So instead of talking about progress toward equality, we can talk about progress toward equality for a specific goal or a specific issue. We can also, instead of talking about equality, talk about equalities, And the reality that progress toward equality in top leadership is not necessarily the same as progress toward equality and representation in other levels of a company or equality in terms of pay gaps across different levels of the company. So I would really highlight that the first takeaway is to just be thoughtful about your language and make sure you're talking about what you want to talk about. Um, And sometimes all it takes is thinking about what we say in order to do a better job and be more intentional with how we say it. The other recommendation that I believe comes out of this research, we haven't tested it specifically yet, but we are always looking for organizational partners who stand ready to do some experimental randomized controlled trials and to test the effectiveness of different types of messages would be to transform the way you talk about progress to talk about progress and where you still have yet to go simultaneously. And our hypothesis coming out of this research and other studies we've done would be that if we talk about progress that's been made, we can still celebrate it. But by talking about progress and then where there is yet to go or the next goal that that progress brings up, we might be able to both talk about progress without having the downsides that our research has identified. And so the second takeaway would be 
you know, put these things together. And if anything, that gives companies an opportunity to be more transparent, more honest, more realistic, and uh, more kind of down to earth with what they're actually doing. And I often think of that as kind of only being a good thing for companies and for the individuals within them. Because the more we understand about organizations' efforts around equality, the more we could contribute to them and the more we can, you know, be kind of inspired by what our organizations are doing. Oriane, what would you say to companies in terms of what they can take away from this? I think, you know, like this idea that organizations need to realize that their messages can have a profound impact on how people see the world around them and how they understand the standing of women in society in general is is a profound takeaway. And, and I would say if they could change just one thing, you know, like still celebrate the progress that they're making because it is good to actually broadcast and communicate about this progress. And this is something we want to test in the future. We haven't yet empirical data about this, but maybe framing the progress in terms of continued commitment to gender equality rather than achievement of gender equality. You know, to give people a sense that this is a continuous process of advancing women as opposed to having reached that milestone that was the goal and so earning uh, the right to rest on one's laurels. Mm. So I would say really framing progress as a commitment to equality rather than achievement of equality. Right. And something that's ongoing rather than we've got there now we can all relax. Absolutely. (laughs) So do you think the results of your research are something that's very specific to gender or do you think that it could kind of potentially be replicated across looking at other kinds of inequalities? It's possible. We thought about this and the way we went about testing it was to wonder first, is it that when people read positive news, in this case about women's greater representation in top leadership, is it the case that when they read that, then they are more optimistic and they care less about any inequality Or is it an effect that is specific to gender inequality and concern with it? So what we did is that we randomly exposed participants to either reading an article about women's greater representation in top leadership or about women's low representation in top leadership. And we asked them to report their concern with specific, again, real-life examples of Gender inequality, for instance, we expose them to statistics about the unequal pay that women face versus men, but we also expose them to statistics about non-gender related inequality, wealth inequality in the U.S. And what we found was that when people had read about uh, women's great representation in top leadership versus weak representation, they specifically showed less concern about gender inequalities in terms of pay, for instance, but they did not show less concern about wealth inequality in general in the U.S. So what this shows us is that when people read positive news about women's progress in terms of their representation in top leadership, they specifically are less concerned with inequalities that women face, but not with any type of inequality that anyone can face. Interesting. And I'm curious also to know whether there's a kind of political dimension to these people's responses. The people you did the study with were all US Americans. I wonder whether you thought about, you know, maybe these people are just more liberal or whether that's, you know, whether that's affecting their their views on these things at all? 
Absolutely. So we looked into this, especially because in one of our studies, we had more than a thousand participants from across the U.S. It was a quasi representative sample of U.S. citizens. And so we wondered in this context where, you know, um, gender is a very controversial topic in the U.S. right now, we thought, Maybe political orientation is playing a role into the effect that we're describing. And so we looked at whether being conservative versus liberal could actually play a role in the extent to which people reported concern about ongoing gender inequality after having read one of the two articles as, uh, you know, representation of women being strong versus weak. And actually, we found nothing. So being uh, more or less conservative, more or less liberal, did not significantly impact the extent to which people showed this decrease in their concern with gender inequality. So it seems everybody is subject to this tendency to show lower concern for women's inequalities after reading good news about women's top representation or representation in top leadership. So what do you think is driving that effect? Is it is it to do with the people see this good news and so their concerns diminished or, or kind of the opposite? That was one of the key questions that we wondered. Is it that reading positive news about women's representation at top levels decreases people's concerns with persisting forms of gender inequality? Or on the contrary, is it that reading that women's representation at the top is weak that increases people's concern with those persisting forms of inequality? And so what we did to tease apart that effect was to introduce what we call a control condition. So the control condition consisted in having a group of participants randomly read an article where we said, we don't know what the level of women's representation is at top levels. So we didn't give them any information. And what that allowed us to do was to compare the effect of reading no information about women's representation or information about women's representation being weak versus women's representation being strong. And what we found was that reading no information or that women's representation was weak made no difference. So that meant that by default, people assumed that women's representation at the top is weak. And in contrast, reading that women's representation at the top was strong was the condition that decreased significantly people's concern with persisting forms of gender inequality versus having read that representation was weak or was unknown. So it's really reading this positive news that decreases concern, not reading that representation is weak that increases people's concern. People often bunch diversity and inclusion into one, but I know you feel that they should be treated or examined as separate issues. Can you tell us more about why these should be looked at separately? Sure. So... When we talk about diversity, we're often talking about who is represented in a space. And the key question that I ask when I'm talking to individuals leading organizations and they want to discuss issues of diversity is, you know, who are you talking about? What problems are you trying to solve with your diversity programs? Because you can have diversity along a ton of different dimensions and the odds in any senior leadership team of having individuals who represent diversity across all of the myriad dimensions of diversity that could be is, you know, almost impossible. If you think about diversity in terms of race, gender, 
ability status, social class, sexual orientation, gender identity, and then you start adding in other types of diversity that don't necessarily have to do with our personal characteristics, it's kind of a never-ending list. And so what I highlight for people is when we talk about diversity, you know, you could look at a group that has one person of a different background and call it diverse, or you could look at a group that is 50-50 and call it diverse. And so you have to understand who you're talking about when you're talking about diversity and also the standard you set for what that diversity should be. When it comes to the topic of inclusion, which is so important, so critical, and so valuable, and I'm so encouraged by seeing just how many organizations are now talking about issues of inclusion. What I like to highlight for them is that inclusion has a lot to do with what they, as leaders, as people in the powerful position, as people who represent the context, are doing. So inclusion has a lot to do with what your company is doing to try to signal to people, we want you, we value you equally, uh, you can have a place here. And inclusion practices are necessary, they're critical, and many companies out there are working to do them better and better. But if companies stop only at the point of inclusion, they might be missing out on a really key factor, which has to do with individual sense of belonging. Our sense of belonging is really driven by our individual experience in a context, in an organization. And so you could have a company that is doing everything right on inclusion. And yet, when individuals from certain backgrounds come into that company, they might interact with people, with managers, with teammates who don't embody those inclusion practices. So while the context from an outside point of view might be seen as inclusive, the way we can evaluate whether that inclusion is effective is really by asking questions about individuals belonging. And in the context of belonging, what you're really doing is you're empowering members of underrepresented groups, individuals who help you diversify your organization to give voice to their lived experiences within the space. Um, and to do that, you have to listen to them. <laughs> you have to give them opportunities to speak and then hear what they say and make changes based on them. And that's why I highlight when it comes to diversity, inclusion, and belonging – these things really need to work together. So you have to understand the kinds of diversity you want and why. If you understand why, then you know, you know, what is the, the level of diversity you're seeking? What are the goals? You have to then develop inclusion practices and then use the science of belonging, use understandings of belonging to evaluate how effective your inclusion practices are. And of course, if you're doing inclusion well and that's translating into belonging for your people, what you should see is that representation changes, that you have more and more individuals moving up the leadership pipeline, doing well in your company, staying there, and therefore you come back to that issue of belonging and you should see real changes there. So we've been talking specifically about kind of women's progress, but there are a lot of groups where the progress has been made, for example, LGBTQ+, where there's people are much more accepting than they were, which is great, and yet people do still face prejudice and stereotyping at work. Tell me about the new LGBTQ+, executive leadership programme here at London Business School. What's the ambition behind that? Thank you so much for asking. I am super excited to talk about this program. So I am one of the academic co-directors for our newly launched LGBTQ plus executive leadership program, along with my colleague, Erin Cohen-Mulliver, who is the other academic director of the program. 
And the reason that we crafted this program is because despite evidence of social progress, as you've highlighted, the reality is top leadership, executive levels, CEOs, boards, they all have still today a pretty profound underrepresentation of LGBTQ plus leaders in them. Those individuals are there, but they're not represented at the levels that we would expect based on the population size almost anywhere in the world. And seeing this real-world disparity, Aaron and I wanted to think about, like, what could we do as academics, as people who study the, you know, issues and challenges around LGBTQ plus populations in the workplace, and also as educators in order to help organizations create change. The goal of the LGBTQ plus executive education program is to help companies harness the progress that's been ongoing, but translate that progress into real change in terms of taking their their leaders who have over eight years of management experience, who they know are doing well and who they know have huge potential, and giving them an opportunity for exceptional leadership development and leadership learning. The program that we've crafted really is the best, most important, most critical insights on leadership that we think that leaders at this level need to consider as they anticipate an upward transition, as they anticipate accelerating in their careers and jumping up to the next level of leadership in their organization. And so our goal is to have a wonderful leadership program but a program with a purpose and a program with a focus. So we hope that the participants for this program will come from the diverse spectrum of LGBTQ plus populations. As I said, uh, this is a program for experienced leaders who are anticipating making that upward transition. And what they'll do in the program is really develop their understanding of their own leadership And that involves understanding your own identity because all leadership is personal. And they will really engage in complex and challenging conversations where they have to ask themselves, who do I want to be? Where do I want to go? And what impact do I want to have when I get there? And so the goal of the program is to create the space that these individuals from an LGBTQ plus background likely don't have in their everyday work lives. When they walk into the office, they are generally one of a minority at their level in the organization. So we want them to have that experience of being in a room full of people who have different but related shared experiences, talking about the critical questions that every leader needs to ask themselves at this transition point in their career, but being able to have those conversations in a way that generally doesn't happen for them, where they're in a strong and supportive network of other LGBTQ plus leaders, um, and where all of the faculty are really thinking about their identities, considering those identities as central to the conversation rather than as kind of an add-on or a side conversation that you might have in a more mainstream leadership context. That sounds really powerful. And and, um, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, some of the people who come on the programme and see the impact it has on them and what they go on to do afterwards and how it really helps them power up to the next level. Absolutely. One of the key aspects of our program is that 
we're focusing on these individuals' personal leadership. We're focusing on their transition upward into higher levels of leadership in their organization. And we want to equip them, if they want to, to go back to their companies ready and armed with an evidence-based, armed with the knowledge they need to lead on issues of diversity, not just for their own identity group, so not just on LGBTQ plus related topics, but on diversity in other ways as well, whether that be gender, race, ability status, social class, whatever they care deeply about, whatever they feel passionately about, and whatever they want to create change in. Brilliant. If I wanted to come in this program, what would I have to do? So if you wanted or someone out there wants to find out more information about the program, we would just ask that you go to our website and you can find it through the LBS Executive Education website. We are on the main page and you can find out more information there. You can also click and download our brochure and you'll find an email address where you will communicate with some of our program staff who are dedicated to this program and who are so excited to be talking to potential participants about what it is and to really invite them to come join us in making the change we hope to see in the world and in organizations going forward. And your research is obviously ongoing as well. So I mean, I'm, I'm interested to know where you're going to take this next and what your next focus is going to be for the research. Right. So my doctoral research is actually looking at the ways that organizations talk about diversity and what consequences these messages can have on people. And one of the avenues that is uh, the focus of my dissertation right now is that I look at how organizations justify why they're committed to diversity and what the consequences of the different rationales that they use can actually have on people in terms of making them feel like they would like to apply to these organizations. And in particular, I look at job seekers from underrepresented groups. So for instance, LGBTQ plus professionals or uh, women in STEM, by which I mean science, technology, engineering, and math. And I look at how reading one justification, for instance, framing diversity in terms of a commitment that stems from uh, wanting to reap the benefits associated with diversity versus a commitment that stems from an idea of wanting to promote fairness and equal opportunity. I look at how reading one of these two rationales actually impacts job seekers from those underrepresented groups and how that affects them in terms of wanting to join the organization and anticipating like they would belong there. Right, because that's obviously diversity is a great start. But then if you want people to actually stay in an organization, there has to be that inclusion and belonging. Otherwise, they're not going to stay. Absolutely. And even earlier stage, people need to project themselves and feel that they could belong in that environment. And in fact, even before people apply to organizations, they are exposed to a lot of discourses around diversity that organizations send them. And so Understanding really early on how those messages can affect organizations' ability to reach out to those underrepresented groups, I think is really key because organizations, you know, put a lot of effort in trying to increase their reach when it comes to those groups. And so far, we know that there isn't as much diversity as we would want it to be. Therefore, understanding how organizations can maybe change the way they talk about their commitment to diversity and make it such that 
people can represent themselves as belonging in that organization is key. And it's key that this feeling of belonging can be instilled at a very early stage. Yeah, and I guess, you know, it's it's really encouraging that so many organizations are looking at diversity and trying to be kind of better at this stuff. But I thought what Anitha was saying earlier about actually listening to the people in your organizations who come from all sorts of different backgrounds and, and all sorts of different people is so key rather than just, you know, filling the right number of uh, types of people or, or doing it, you know, it can be quite a kind of box ticking exercise, can't it? So that seemed really um crucial to me to actually be speaking to your people and finding out if they actually do feel they belong or not. Absolutely. And again, like this is the stage in which people have entered the organization and are now faced with the reality of what it means to work in an organization where your sense of belonging can be challenged from time to time. But we know that prior to even entering the organization, some people will maybe not apply to some organizations where they perceive early signals that they will not belong there. And so looking at what signals, what cues in the environment can drive this early on sense that I will not belong there is also key. So it's almost like a long pipeline from the job seeker population where you want to convert some of those into employees ultimately and you want to attract them and how do you do that and then later on as Anitha was saying how do you boost sense of belonging once people have entered the organization and how do you retain them and then ultimately you know um, keep them and promote them great thank you If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to the podcast by searching London Business School in your podcasting app of choice. To receive a curated selection of articles, podcasts and films direct to your inbox each fortnight, subscribe at london.edu forward slash think forward slash subscribe, or you can tap the link in the show notes. In the meantime, if you'd like to know more about the LGBTQ plus executive leadership programme, go to london.edu forward slash LGBTQ leadership. Leadership.